The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. This morning's scripture reading comes from John 13, 21 through 38. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of, of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then, after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So, after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Well, uh, welcome again this morning. Uh, my name is Stacy Croft. Sorry, my voice, I'm getting over a little something. So if I sound a little bit like Barry White or somebody, um, I um, apologize. But uh, my name is Stacy Croft. I haven't met you. Welcome this morning. I'm the pastor here and uh, grateful to be with you. And um, hopefully we can grab coffee or lunch sometime. And I'd love to get to know you better and, and help you plug further into the life of our church and in, even into our city, especially if you're new. Some of you have just moved here within the last few months, so love to uh, get to know you better. Uh, this last Monday, um, I had the opportunity, had a, a, my brother-in-law got me a ticket to the college football uh, championship, which was really fun in, in uh, Houston, Texas. So we are from Texas, from Houston, and um, and so I had a place to stay, had all that. It was all kind of like eat, eat, eat lined up. But I was like, I wonder if I'll be able to go. Um, it was so cool. He texted me, he goes, got you a ticket. And I was like, no way. And so I went and uh, even flying down, you know, on the plane ride there, the, uh, the plane was just full of blue and, and gold. Uh, it was all Michigan. There were maybe like one or two Washington folks. I don't know. Sorry if you're a Washington fan here. But like it was just all Michigan. And I had never, I've never been to a championship, uh, anything really like that. I've been to some playoff things here or there. 
but man, this was a, a very different experience. Really cool. Uh, and so the stadium in Houston, the, the, the roof was closed, and it was just roaring the whole time. And uh, so, you know, if, if, if you watched it on TV or if you've seen it or been to something like that, you know, half the stadium is, you know, one color or the other, and they're all there. And man, it just, we got there early, and it was a party from the beginning. Um, and I'll tell you what, if they, they were showing flashes of things on the screen, if there was a hint of an Ohio State something on there, it was like Michigan got a penalty. It was like, oh, this is the worst. I mean, it was just the whole time. And during, even during TV timeouts, so if you've ever been to a game like that or seen it, they, they pull out like a little thing and the guy comes out and there's like a clock ticking down of how much long a commercial is. Well, during that, you think, oh, it's downtime. No, they have like a DJ. There's like music. Everybody has their phones out. I mean, this thing was lit up. It was amazing. And uh, my brother-in-law had been to a Super Bowl at that one. It was the uh, the um, uh, Patriots Falcons Super Bowl. Sorry for you Atlanta fans. That was a harsh one. But he, I asked him, I go, okay, I've ne- what, what is the difference? What's it like? And he said, look, this is way bigger party than that. Uh, a lot more fun, a lot more because everybody's invested. You know exactly who they're following. Uh, and at the Super Bowl, there's a lot of corporate and fun, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a great game. But at this, at Michigan and Washington, there's no doubt who you're following. In fact, it was kind of funny. A couple of people that were sitting in our, in our section uh, had Washington uh, um, <laughs> like sweatshirts on. We're like, hey, are you a Washington fan? They're like, no, I just bought it on Amazon. I thought of this like, co- like a costume party, so I thought I'd just come and cheer. I was like, why did you do that? That, that was crazy, but, you know, like, we're, and we're joking, like, oh, sorry for your game. But, you know, like, there was no doubt who was following whom in that game. It was, you're either for Washington or you're for Michigan. And it is loud, it is love, it is for it. Look, we're, we're in a, a series now called the Upper Room Discourse. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, this is a part of the Gospels. And the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, those four Gospels, John takes the time in his chapters 13 to 17 to slow down in a portion where Jesus has his last meal with the disciples. And we get to see what would he say. You know, all the other Gospels mention it. They talk about moments from it. John really takes the time to show us all the portions of it. And what is it really about? It's about what does it mean to follow? You know, the question be interesting right on the outset. Everybody sitting in a church, and I'm not here guessing that everybody even in this room may even say that they're a follower of Jesus. You may be here learning and trying to figure it out. Maybe you're back into the walls of a church uh, for the first time after a long time. But I would be curious, you know, if, if I was to ask someone about you, or, or if you were to ask them about me, and, and to say, hey, what does it really mean for that person to follow Jesus? How would they reply? Like, what are the kind of things they would say about you? Because if there's anything on the outset of this passage that we're looking at today, it's saying, everyone will know you are a follower of me by the way you love. Do people know that? Like, what, Do people know that you follow Jesus? And if they do, what do they measure by? Is it because you're in church? 
Is it because you read a Bible? Or maybe you mention a couple of verses at at a a work event. Maybe you're just really nice. (laughs) Uh, Maybe something else. I I don't know what that is that conjures up for you. But when Jesus talks about this here, what it means to actually follow him, he gets to the the nitty-gritty because what we see surrounding that portion of, hey, people will know that you're a Christian by my love, is it is sandwiched between Judas' betrayal and Peter's denial. And so we're going to look at a few things from this passage. You could actually break this down, and I want to strongly encourage you, especially if you're kind of exploring the Bible, to maybe even take this portion that we're looking at and, and slow it down even more. You could look at each of these sections as a, a study in and of itself. It's beautiful. But what does it mean to be a betrayer, a denier, and also be loved by Jesus? So we're going to look today at that love. We're going to look at Judas, Peter, Jesus, and then us. What does it mean for us to love? You know, when they were sitting at this dinner, uh, dinner time was a moment where a lot of things happened. If you read the narrative accounts in the Gospels, you'll see that, that meals somehow were the moment where you heard a lot, saw a lot, received a lot. Maybe you're used to that even in the meals that you have when you sit down with people. It's like the moment when you actually get to hear about things or things come out. Nothing like Thanksgiving or, or those kind of Christmas dinners for all the realities to come out. Well, Jesus took his moment to do that. And at a meal like this, the the table would be shaped in a giant kind of U shape. And at the very middle, the center, which was typically what you would think would be the host chair, it's not. It's actually the, the, the key person, like the celebrated person or most important person at the meal chair. The host would actually sit a little bit to the left of that. And so Jesus would actually be laying, and what they did was they laid on their right side and at, the, at this U. So you had, here was the setting. Peter was somewhere over here. John was sitting right next to Jesus, laying next to him. And Judas would have been right over here. Judas actually would have been seated at one of the seats of honor, which would have been to the left. And so as they're talking about this, and it begins, Jesus says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Not many moments you get to hear the internal workings of Jesus himself. But that he is troubled. His heart is is deeply troubled. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples begin looking at each other. And interestingly enough, as it goes on, Peter, as as Peter does, kind of nudges and looks at John saying, hey, I've already kind of spoken up a lot. Like, ask Jesus, what, who is it? Who is it? So you can imagine the reason John can lean back into Jesus' chest because he's laying right here. He leans back and asks him, who is this? Who's going to betray you? Because none of them know. And Judas was at this table, commission, and it was him. And yet all of them at that table thought, well, is it me? All of them had that struggle of, who is the betrayer? But Judas, like all the others, was at the table, commissioned by Jesus. One of the 12 just had his feet washed, as we looked at last week, by Christ. Christ took off his garments, took his hands, and rubbed every like kernel of dirt off of 
Judas' feet. And yet here he sits at his table. Mark, in, in his gospel, does it, and in some others, they don't even mention Judas by name. They call him the betrayer. Judas' name doesn't even get to be mentioned in these moments because he's mentioned as of what he does. You know, Julius Caesar, uh, remember that old play, Et tu, Brute? <laughs> Shakespeare, when he wrote that, he, if you notice any of Shakespeare's works, he actually has often a character or a thread of betrayal through them. Something to the effect that <clears throat> for Shakespeare, he wanted everybody to know that betrayal is a commonplace in all of us. Rembrandt, when he actually painted this scene of betrayal, when Judas would betray Jesus at that actual moment that evening, would paint his own face onto Judas because he wanted for himself and others to know that he recognized betrayal in his own heart. Do we see the betrayal in our heart? Do we know how capable we are of that? Jesus wants us to know that his relationship with us is more than the gifts that he gives us. We can perform all the things, but it's easy. Betrayal can sit in our hearts. Betrayal comes easier when ministry, churchy stuff, feeds our niche in life. It's easier to betray Jesus when we see Jesus is only helpful for getting us to the next level, the next place, to get out of something. He seems to be a supplement, a help, an aid, a way for us to gain more power. That Maybe I can do all the things that I did before because it didn't really impact me because my relationship really isn't with Jesus. It's really more of what this whole thing is. It's just kind of his stuff, the ministry, the gifts, the power, the prestige, the position. The other person sitting at this table is Peter. Somebody else who would be there and we see even right after this, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where am I? I'm going. You cannot follow me now, but you will follow after. Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. <laughs> Peter, in, in his way, and just like maybe many of us, claimed that devotion to Jesus, and he had done that over and over. Peter had claimed that I will never leave you. I'll never abandon you, but you know what's interesting? Denial is a little different than betrayal. Betrayal is a more active, like, in your face, I'm going to turn this way. Denial is that slow movement away. Denial is that moment of self-preservation where maybe you're in a class or in an office or in a car with someone, and they make a comment or question or an assertion, and you just in that moment decide, maybe I won't speak up. Maybe a comment about Jesus or Christianity or the church, or maybe you're in here and you've felt that or been on that end, and you think, gosh, for me just to not kind of deal with this now, denial is us preserving self. And the Bible actually has two kind of meanings for denial. It's interesting. 
One of them is to refuse to recognize someone, to like just refuse to see someone. And the other one is to abandon solidarity with. It's those moments where you kind of just refuse to kind of see it. Or maybe you don't want anybody around you to know because you feel the awkwardness of following Jesus and it's too much for you. And it's not about you standing up and proclaiming, I'm a Christian, but it's just those moments where you're just embarrassed to be one. Because you know of what it may cost you. Fear of what the negative consequences might be. When it comes to how you can disassociate with Jesus, it could be anything. It's an association. You know what's interesting about Peter in this moment? His faith has become more about following Jesus than about Jesus. You know, one of the things that means to follow Jesus, it means that we're following him. And I think it is very easy for us to follow Jesus by putting our faith in our faith. How does it feel for us to follow him? Like, it's easy to disassociate with him or betray him when our faith is in our own strength. (laughs) When following him becomes about us. Like, when I wake up, and I don't know about you, but I feel the very same. When I wake up and I have the circumstances are the same or my emotions or my, you know, I feel depressed or anxious, how my faith can easily attach itself to those things and say, gosh, you're either far from God or he doesn't care about you enough or following him just is too costly. But my faith becomes about my own faith and not about Jesus. There was a guy named Horatio Bonner, great name for an old theologian. He wrote a book called God's Way of Peace, a book for the anxious. Sounds good, huh? It's a very small book. Worth reading for sure. And listen to what he says. You seem to think that it is your own act of faith that is to save you. Forget everything about yourself your faith, your frames, your repentance, your prayers, and look at Him. It is in Him and not in your poor act of faith that salvation lies. It is in him, in his boundless love that you are to find your resting place. Out of him, not out of your exercise of soul concerning him, that peace is to come. Looking at your own faith will only minister to your self-righteousness. If you look to your faith, what, what is faith? Faith is to be a windshield. It's something you look through to the object, right? If you're driving along and something hits your windshield and you start staring at it, you're going to, what, crash. Because you're supposed to look through it. Faith is about you looking to the object. And what is that? It is Jesus. See, how does he love? You know what's interesting about these two characters and in between this is what Jesus says when he had gone out Now is the Son of Man glorified, it says in verse 31. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, 
Yet a a little while I am with you, and you will see me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Little children, Jesus loves. How does he love a betrayer? You know, it's interesting, many commentators say that even in this last moment, as Jesus is troubled in spirit, that word troubled is often like an animal, a wild animal that has a stirring up in them. Almost like a ferociousness, deep welling within Jesus. We don't, again, think of Jesus often in his internal workings, and there are moments you get to see that, but Jesus took on his humanity. Jesus took on in that moment the humanity of what does it mean to sit in a room with the one who would betray him, the one who would deny him, and to love them. He was troubled. And yet he calls them little children. See, to, to, to have this happen in this moment at that meal and to dip their morsel into that bowl and then to take it, it was not just like any betrayal. It was an intimate betrayal. There was a deep intimacy going on here. And Jesus was willing to take it on. And you know what's fascinating? That everyone at that table said, is it I? If you read even the other accounts of the Gospels, they are looking at each other going, is it I? This is why Peter was like, hey, John, ask him. Ask him. John, Peter had already talked too much. Jesus had washed his feet and he said, hey, don't wash my feet. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. He said, well, then wash all of me. This is so Peter. So Peter was like, I don't want to say anything yet. Ask him, ask him, ask him. Who is it? Why? Because they all know They're betrayers. And yet, many say, and even reading this, there's kindness, even towards Judas in this moment. Because what you do with a betrayer is you don't hide them. You don't send them, you expose them. You make everybody there know who they are. And everybody at that table knew. And yet, No one at that table knew it was Judas. They only thought it was themselves or maybe the one next to them. There's a lot of this discussion in here about little children coming and going, all this, you can't follow me. Why does Jesus hint so much about following him? And and Peter takes it up. He says, wait, follow you? Why can't we follow you? I will never leave you. all for Jesus to say, you'll deny me. (laughs) Because the place where he is going, no one can go. See, as much as I, and I'll, I'll just put it in my terms, there are so many times that I think like Peter, after he says, deny you, I'm not gonna deny you, that I go, how in the world, when I see my own denial, Does Jesus want to associate with me? How would he want to associate with me? Do you realize when when Peter actually has his denial and their eyes meet in the Greek, it says that there's a look at that Peter wants to look away, but that he catches his eyes and it's not a, I caught you. See, it's a, I know you and I have you and I love you, and I will keep you. 
Why in the world does Jesus say, you can't go where I'm going? Because where is he going? To the cross. When Jesus says to them this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. If, what if he stopped and said, a new commandment I give to you that you love. All of us would be like, oh, love. It would be very easy to make love emotive. A feeling. A way that we just kind of get one another. Right? But how often do we feel like we want to love. When Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, and it's new not because Jesus is doing away with everything, but that he's saying the new covenant, new relationship of how you care for each other is a commandment. This is something you're to do. Love isn't an emotion. It's an action. And what is Jesus's action towards deniers and betrayers? It's his mission of the cross. It's cruciform love. How in the world do we love one another? It's only if the resource is the one who loves us. And how does he love us? By going to the cross. He looks at Peter to show him to say, your denial is a part of why I'm going to the cross. Judas' betrayal is leading up to it. His mission is that. Even when Jesus talks to Peter earlier on and, and, so, and Peter gives another moment of, go to the cross, the cross starts getting mentioned. <laughs> and Peter and the rest of the disciples are like, are you crazy? What, what is this? And Jesus has the audacity to say, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. Such a stark contrast. Because what is Jesus' mission? To go to the cross. How does he actually love you and I? It's to go to a place where none of us can go. It's to take up what none of us can take. If the only resource and the only way he can get to the depth of how we can be loved isn't just this love of, oh, Jesus is so sweet. Jesus is so kind. He's such a great teacher. That doesn't do it for us as betrayers and deniers. If we really know that our face like Rembrandt did is painted in the place of Judas and that our hearts are able to deny Jesus at the drop of a hat to self-preserve because we know it is so easy to, to say, yeah, yeah, Jesus, but I'm gonna do it the way I think. What in the world is going to change us? It can't be a love that's, that's warm and fuzzy. It has to be one that can get to the roots and rip it up to give us new life in him. Because I'll tell you what, if someone, let's go back to the question, the new commandment, how would somebody know you're a follower of Jesus? Is it that you're just nicer? Is it that, oh, I've, I go to this church. Well, there is a church nearly on every corner. Is it the fact that you serve or you give or you do this or this or a part of this study or that? Or is it that you follow Jesus? Those things are great, but they can't be where you follow. 
It has to be Christ. Because if you're going to love somebody, what is going to transform? And you may even be in this room. Someone who is burned, cynical, and bored with the church is not going to be trying to be nicer. It's going to be cruciform love. He says, he says this, right? What is the commandment based off of? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And how has he loved us. This table is that picture. This is exactly what he was setting that night that he did that. Cruciform love means that there is body and blood. There's sacrifice given. And there's only been one who said, you cannot go where I go. That's Jesus. But you know what you can do? You can love like I love. You can display that this picture that's not just the niceties of Southern comfort or hospitality, but deep sacrificial love that looks and says, this is gonna press, this is gonna cost me to love this person. But if I understand the commandment, it's not just a, hey, I give you a new suggestion. I give you a new idea give you a new commandment because who has set this table? The one who wrote on the tablets of stone, the one who actually fulfills the commandment in full, the only one who could go where we can't, that's Jesus. And if you know this love, it should transform every love you have so that when you leave this space, people know who you follow. And if they don't, they go, wait, why do you act the way you do? Do you realize this is why all the history books of all the Romans and all the Greeks and all of them say, man, those Christians are weirdos. But we know who they serve. They say the strangest things, but they care for our poor better than we do. They act weird about things and say odd deals, but they love one another in a way that we should send all of our broken, sick, and wounded to because they will care for them. All those cast out. Because they get a love that we need to understand. It's cruciform. It's in Christ. Praise be to God. He set this table with his own body and blood. So there is no doubt When you come to this table and taste it, you follow something greater than your feelings. It's a love that is grounded in God's mission to the cross. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.